0: Okay, we're holding on page 72 in the Siddur by Uvalet Siyon. And interestingly, this is a part of davening that perhaps people don't attribute enough significance to. Um, I mentioned last week that somehow, many times after Esrei, we feel like davening is already uh, going downhill. You know, we uh, we got to Esrei, now we're on the way out. Um, which is, I guess, natural, but not... Of course, definitely not uh, entirely appropriate. Um, In fact, I I mentioned last week that in the Rebbe's minyan in 770, always we knew that after Shmonasri, davening slowed down. That's when the Rebbe just slower after Shmonesrei until the end of Tehillim. That's a fact. Um, And this is a very interesting part of davening, right? We talked about the Tachnun, uh, which was right after Shmonesrei, and that's where we have the confession and vidui, and then we had. It's called the Sapayim, when we put our head down. Um, then we said Ashrei again, which we discussed last week, the reasons for that. And then we said the uh, chapter 20 of Tillam, which brings us to, again, on page 72, This is a lengthy paragraph. And really, the end of this, in a sense, constitutes the end of the tefillah proper. Um, in fact, if you look at 74, right after this is when we'll say Kaddish. If you're davening with a minion, and in that Kaddish we'll say, asking Hashem to accept all of our tefillahs. We wait until after Uval Tzion to say that. Um, what's the, the reasons for the creation of this paragraph? Um, the Chachamim is really put together of a number of different sukim. At the center of it is, for the third time in davening, the Kedusha. Really, when is the first time that we said kedusha and davening? Kadosh, 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 was no, way earlier in birch, in the brachas of Kriyashma. Uh-huh. in the first bracha of Kriyashma, Right? Remember that we have the. But you're right because that's not typically called kedusha. But the first time we say kadosh, 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 Hashem zvolsu M'lach, lachalares kvodo, we talk about the praise of the angels. Was in the first of the birchas kriyas The second time it was said was in the Shmona Esrei, by Chazorah Sashats by the repetition of the Amida, when the Chazim will say Kedush, and that's what you were referring to, and will answer again, Kadosh Kadosh kadush. The third time, and final time it said, is in the Uval Etzion, in this section. Um, and here it said, both in Hebrew, with an Aramaic translation. And this is actually the first time it said, with the entire lengthy Aramaic translation. That's in the Uval Etzion. Why do we say it here again? Why do we repeat the Kedusha and we talk about the tfilah or the praises of the malachim? And it's interesting that there is different explanations given to it. Some that are more according to Pshat and some according to Kabbalah. Let me give you a couple of the explanations given. One explanation is going to be reminiscent of something that we've heard more than once. And that is that we know that as, a, as Klali Yisrael, we've gone through various different decrees. And one of the decrees was that we were not allowed to say the Kedusha during the Avani. Um, because that is a central part of davening, talking about the Kedusha, that the angels sanctify Hashem, and we join the angels in that sanctification. And at different points in history, probably under Roman rule, which was for hundreds of years, um, the rule was, the law was, that we were not allowed to say the Kedusha. So what does the Yidu do? They let you daven, but you can't say the Kedusha? Right, right. They They had different things. There was times we couldn't say the Shema, Right? you might remember that we talked about that that's the reason Kaser, right? mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons we say it in Kasser that's also one of the reasons we say it right in the beginning of davening oh, okay. right in the beginning because we couldn't say Shema in the proper place because they had an issue with the Shema there was times that there was a decree against reading the Torah so then, they had then they had the half Torah right always the Chachamim were on top of the ball you know and, and, and figured out what do we do right? when there's a decree okay so fine we won't say it here we'll say it there that's what they were always doing so the Kedusha similarly you have to remember that these weren't, when you think about these um, decrees and the decree makers, they weren't ignorant of Jewish law and life. Obviously. They were typically, mm-hmm. and almost always, there was Jews who were either converts or very wicked, and they would be their, their advisors as, what do we do? Because they knew the story from inside. Just like, going back to what we began with, the stories of the communists, the worst, the worst communist for the Jewish people always was the Jewish arm of the communist movement because only a Jew knows that kedusha is important. You know, the Roman uh, guy doesn't know the difference between kedusha and you know anything else. Um, that's the story. That's unfortunately the story of story of Claudius well, of our history. But be that as it may, so they made a decree that we couldn't say the kedusha, knowing the importance and the significance and centricity of saying the kedusha in tefillah. And therefore, that's one of the reasons Uval was created. So we've already finished Mon Esrei, we finished Kriyashma, we're done with tefillah proper, so to speak, and here is where they smuggled it. Um, and according to that, that would also explain why the first uh, line and verse here is Uval Etzien Goyel, that we're asking Hashem to bring to Zion a Redeemer, bring Mashiach, because it was, it was made in a time of Golos, in a time of exile, and in a time of oppression. That's one of the reasons given for the Kedusha here in Uval Another reason given is perhaps not as sad, but uh, practical, and that's for the people who come late to (laughs) davening. Now it seems that that's not something that began in the 21st century. (laughs) Um, there was always people who came a little bit late, I'm sure only for good reasons, obviously. But the fact is, there's always people coming late. And because of, <laughs> because, because there's people coming late, so therefore they wanted to once again um, get, say over these very central parts of davening, so that that person should also have the opportunity to say it with its with tzibur, with a minion as davening and shul. And that's another reason brought in sfarim, as why here in the Volusian we're again saying the Kedusha, that we already said in Kriya Shema, we said it again by Chazar HaShashat, the repetition of the Amidah, and yet towards the end of Damanim we're repeating it again because inevitably there's going to be someone who missed out the first time or the second time, and therefore we have the third opportunity. That's a, it's a, it's an interesting, practical, but it's brought in Sfarim as one of the reasons for Volusian. Uh, finally, there is the reason according to Kabbalah and Chasidus. And that um, has to do with something we've discussed in the past, and that is that davening, we mentioned many times, uh, based on the Zohar, and of course we have to mention that this week is Lag bo is the yard site of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and this Wednesday night and Thursday, one of the great holidays on the Jewish calendar, especially on the Hasidic calendar, but really celebrated by Klal Yisrael in a way, there's probably no yard site of any tzaddik that's celebrated like this yard site, um, amongst all Every type of Yiddin, um, Hasidic and non-Hasidic Ashkenaz inspired and and from and not. I mean, really, everyone celebrates Lag Baomer in one form or another. I, I shouldn't say everyone does, but there is representation of every segment of Klal and many, many, many people go to Miron to Rosh um caver. Right? Um, I don't know if any of you have ever been there on Lag Ba'omer. Anyone? Yep. What? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you were there, was there anyone else there with you, or you are the only one there? That... The only one there. <laughs> Did right, right. you actually get to the cave? Yeah, we've been in there. You could, you, you could. I've been there. Have you been there? Yeah, it yeah. seems like it's. It, there's hundreds. hundreds there's hundreds of thousands of in there. Years it's it's that's not a, that's not an exaggeration. They say maybe a half a million yidin, it's, it's amazing. It's unbelievable. But you get it. My daughter was there the last two Lag as we speak. My parents are both on an airplane on the way to Israel. Um, it's uh, it's the place to go. Yeah. But be that as it may, so Eichai, why is it that this tzaddik of all tzaddikim is the one that Kali Yisrael celebrates, you know, what's, what's unique and different and special of Rav bar on the simplest level is that he wrote the Zohar. The Zohar is the foundational book of Pnemi Torah, the esoteric process of Torah, the secrets of Torah, and Rav is seen really as the father of, or the one of, of revealing, that is, the secrets of the Torah. And therefore, some people learn the secrets of the Torah more; some people learn them less. But everyone understands that Torah is full of secrets, and the and Kabbalah, Pnimisat Torah, Chassidus is those secrets of the Torah. And everyone celebrates the kedusha of of, of um, In Chassidus, just saying, Lagbomer is called Matan Torah of Pnimisat Torah. That's that's a expression written in Mamorim. The Rebbe Rashav writes that the Rebbe brings it. That it's like the day that Prnimiyyah's HaTeira was, the, was beg- begun to be revealed in this world. When? when, when, when? That's the same day as his right, right, because on the day of his Yahrzeit site is when he revealed greater secrets than he ever revealed before. Um, and that was the day of the Shlemos of his Aveda. Oh, wow. So, being that his Aveda was to reveal the secrets of the Torah, that day becomes the central day revealing the secrets of the Torah, and therefore a day that's very, very connected with the coming of Mashiach which is all about the revelation of the deeper levels of the Torah. So it's a day of Geula, and Hashem should be a day celebrated with Mashiach, Emir Seh Hashem. Mm-hmm. Having said that, Reb Shem Barichai says in the Zohar that, that tefillah is called the ladder. Right? We talked about right. the ladder in Yaakov Avinu's dream. V'ine sulamut savarza, the ladder that goes heavenward, and Malachim are ascending and descending that ladder. So really tefillah is a ladder, And just like a ladder is, you ascend and you descend. So we talked about that there's the four rungs of the ladder, and that's ascending the four spiritual worlds, um, from Asiyah to to, uh, Yitzhira, to Bria, to Atsilus, and then to coming back down the ladder. Because the point is not to daven and stay up in heaven, right? The point is not to stay in Shemona Esrei a whole day. The point is to be inspired and raise ourselves up to the highest point and then bring that back down with us into the rest of the day. So Kabbalistically, tefillah is till Shmona Esrei. Shmona Esrei is the high point. And from Shmona Esrei, we turn around and come back down and bring down with us whatever spiritual um, strengthening that we've been able to accomplish and bring that down with us. So the steps after Shmona Esrei are bringing it back down. So they're really, I'm sorry, the, the steps after Shmona Esrei are really commensurate with the steps before because you go up and you come back down the same the same places the same worlds sorry no i was just going to say so if you don't say anything after shmona Esri, you might get lost Make it stuck <laughs> yeah it could be an issue okay listen how you got to do what you got to do and, and like we said many times if you have only a limited amount of time so you just you know say shmona Esri. so of course you do what you can but the appropriate full tefillah is the daven until shmona esrei and then uh, then daven the ending after shmona esrei which is shorter but important so therefore, if you're looking at it that way, this mm-hmm. uval etzion is really the world of Bria just like the brachas of Kriyashma were. And that's why we have the same kedusha again. If you think about the symmetrical davening, up the ladder and down the ladder, when you're coming down the ladder, you're really going through the same route as up the ladder. So it's not just, you know, th- this, this explanation obviously gives a new depth to it. It's not just, you know, because we couldn't, you know, because of a decree of the Romans... Or because of people coming late to shul, but also because kabbalistically that's how tefillah has to be. That there's the way up and the way down, and the way down is going to follow the same path as the way up. So if I'm the way up, we in in the world of bria, we talked about the kedusha of the malachim because the malachim are primarily from the world of bria, at least the higher malachim. So therefore, on the way down as well, we talk about the Kedushah of the Malachim in that world as well. So that's more of a Kabbalistic angle to what's behind this um, special tefillah of Vav and Goya. But let's look a little um, more closely at what we're saying over here. So right in the beginning, we have a very beautiful concept, starting from the second pasuk, on the second line, V'ani zays berisi aysam, which is really a, a couple of pasukim, from the Navi Yeshayahu, and it talks about the covenant that Hashem makes with us in giving us the Torah. And Hashem really promises to us. Very interestingly, you know, Hashem gave us a gift three thousand three hundred and thirty years ago. This Shavuos, which is in less than three weeks, is going to be exactly three thousand three hundred and thirty years to the giving of Torah, right? Right? That's what it is. 3,330 years. So Hashem gave us a gift 3,330 years ago. Now, one might think, you know, sometimes people get a little bored of a gift. You give a gift, they keep it in the mantle for, a, you know, a year, two years. But after a couple thousand years, you know, sometimes people move on to something else. Hashem, when he gave us the Torah made a covenant with us. And he said, I promise that this is never leaving you. I'm not just giving you something and then you might leave it, you know, in the garage and then ultimately sell it in the garage sale. But that this is going to remain with you forever. Only Hashem can make such a promise, that I'm going to give you something that you're going to keep forever. Now, it doesn't mean every person is going to keep it forever, but as a whole, as a Klal Yisro, that you're never going to leave go of this. And that covenant is described in these psukim that we say here in Davening. This is the only place we say this. Let's read it. It says, This is a bris. A bris is a covenant that I made with them. Them meaning Klal Yisro, says Hashem. The Spirit... My spirit that's within you, or upon you. And the words that I have placed in your mouth, well, these are the words of Teirah. These will not be removed, they'll not be forgotten from the mouths of your children, I'm sorry, for your mouths, from the mouths of your children and your children's children. Amar Hashem from now and forever. And that's the Novi Yishayat prophecy, where Hashem is prophesizing this concept that this, the words, the words of Torah that He gave us, that He placed in our mouths, is something that will forever be with us. And that's the bris of Torah that we mentioned here towards the end of davening, the promise that Hashem gave us that the Torah will remain with us. It's interesting to note the emphasis over here on Torah being connected with Words, right? Notice how many times is there the reference to the fact that it's words. He says, these words are going to be in your mouth, and your children's mouths and your grandchildren's mouths. Mouths, mouths, mouths. It's all about words. Saying the words of Torah, which leads to a very interesting concept, something that I believe we've discussed perhaps in the past. And that is that although on the one hand, Torah is primarily ideas. And therefore it's seichl. It's intellect. Nevertheless, There's a tremendous emphasis on the words of Torah, divrei Torah. We say, "Let's hear a dvar Torah." We make a bracha in the morning, al divrei Torah. Why is the words so important when it comes to Torah? Why is it so? Why is it so important not only to know it and understand it? Transmitting the concept. Okay, so words give us the ability to transmit them, and that's a correct. There, that's obviously very correct. That, that the Torah was, was given from Hashem. There, all those words, everything was given from Hashem. True, but true and true. Both both of the things that were said were true. But still, couldn't one argue that if I'm learning by myself? So it's about understanding, about the concepts of Torah, the ideas of Torah. So. Why is it called divre Torah? Why words? You have to move your mouth. It's right, it's like but why? A hundred percent. So the, so what everyone is saying is correct, and that is because we want to move our mouths because we're actually halakhically supposed to move our mouths. It's a mitzvah to, tolash, it's a mitzvah so to, we, to do it. We have to... And the mitzvah is to use our mouths, to say it with our mouths. Why is that so? And there's a number of correct answers to that question. I'll mention perhaps two. This one answer, straight out of Tanya, is because we want to bring it down into the realm of the body. In the realm of action, uh, when something is just in the mind, it's very spiritual. We want Torah and mitzvahs and kedusha to affect us and to affect us physically. And everything that we do, we try to get our body involved in it because our body is physical, is very is, is materialistic, and we're the neshama came down to make our body holy. And therefore, by verbalizing the words of Torah, through that the words. Um, affect us in a physical way more so than we just think about it in our minds. And that's correct. But to take that one step further, and I'll connect that with a statement of one of the very famous Talmudic Jewish um, Right, There's not a lot of teachings in the Talmud, Talmud from women. But one there's one who was quite famous as a tremendous Torah scholar. Excellent. Bruria. And Bruria is connected, especially with the time, because Bruria was the wife of Rabbi Meir, whose yard site was yesterday. Rabbi Meir, otherwise known as Rabbi Meir Bal Hanes, and Rabbi Meir was a colleague to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Mm -hmm. Right? They They were friends. They were colleagues. They both studied under the great... Rabbi Akiva, the other hero of Lag Buhimer. right? It's all connected. It's interesting that their yurt sites are so Yes, close. yes, yes, yes. It's interesting what? Their yurt sites are so close. So close. You had, you had Rabbi Akiva. right? Rabbi Akiva is one of the stars of Lag Boeimer because he's the one with the 24,000 students and so, it's Shaini, the Hafele Reacha Kameiha. Pesach shame, the was his? Reb Yeah, Re-Mir. Right. So Rabbi Akiva was the Rebbe. And Rabbi Kiva had 24,000 students who died, and that's the sadness of Sfirah Sa'imer. But then Rabbi Kiva has a few great students who remained. Two of them who are likely the greatest is Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Shimon. And Rabbi Meir is really the most, the primary sage of the Mishnah is Rabbi Meir. The one who wrote the Mishnah, who compiled it, was Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, who was a disciple of Rabbi Meir. So Rabbi Meir is the most oft-quoted sage <coughs> of the Mishnah. Um, and Rabbi Meir's colleague is Rabbi Shima, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who's the Zohar, and, and mentioned hundreds and hundreds of times in the Mishnah, Rabbi Shima, um, if not more than that. And they both passed away just a few days apart. I don't know if it was the same year, but Rabbi Meir's yard site is on Yudalit year, Pesach Sheni. And Reb Shimon is on Yudches'ir, on Lagba Eimer. Reb Meir is buried in Tveria. say they they're both up there in the north. Yeah. So Reb Meir is in Tveria. And yesterday in Tveria, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people, were by Reb Meir, cave in Tveria yesterday. And Reb Shimon is in Miron, that's a little further up north, near Sfas. And that's, that's the other side. Tomorrow night, Wednesday uh, night. Yeah, I'm sure many people, I have no doubt that many people did. My sister's there, so she went there for the art site. To remain. Yeah. So, so. Why is it that you lose something? What, what is that connection with, with oh, and yeah. Balanais? I'm sorry? What's the connection if you lose something with and Balanais? That's Balinese? a good question, and I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. Yeah, I have it on my um, yeah. <laughs> People say, you? "Do you say, Yeah. Yes. see Anini'? See, 'alakod Reuven Anini' is something Reuven said, but not in regard to losing something specifically. I mean that—that's connected to a whole different story. <laughs> that's a whole story for itself, which I don't want to get into. I just there's too many stories, one connected to the other. Uh-huh. But Rabbi Meir, whose wife was Bruria, and Bruria was again this famous Talmid Chacham, a very wise, scholarly person. So the Gemara says. That one time, Bruria saw one of the students of her husband, Remeir, and he was studying, but he wasn't verbalizing the words. He was studying, but you know, like many times people read a book and they just let their eyes skim and they don't, they don't actually verbalize what they're saying. So she saw that one of the Talmidich HaChemim was learning, but he wasn't saying the words. So she told him, you're going to forget everything you learned. Good, <laughs> she says, if you want to remember the words of Torah, then you have to verbalize And she based it on a pasuk, uh, if, if, if the Torah that you learned is taken into all of your limbs, you get involved in it physically, you speak it and so on, then mishta then it's guarded by you. But if you just read it in your mind, then it's not going to be guarded by you. That's what she said. And the Gemara says that, of course, exactly what she said came to pass, and this Tanul Chacham ultimately forgot everything he learned because that was his way. He was accustomed to learning without verbalizing the words. And her mayor's wife, Bruria, told him that that's not the way it works, and she was right. The question is why. I mean, it's it's an interesting story, and obviously she was a siddikis, but but what's the reason? What's the connection of verbalizing and memory? So perhaps there is physical explanations to it. When you verbalize, you remember more. I don't know. But in Tanya, the Altirebbe has a different approach and he explains why is verbalization of Torah important or helpful to memory of Torah. And he says something very amazing. He says the following. He says, why do we forget Torah? The truth is, someone says, I forget everything. You know, I forget where I put my glasses. I mean, so, so, but thank you. But the uh, I wouldn't be able to see them, past the water. Oh, sure. So, so, um, thank you. So, the Alter says that when it comes to Torah, there is an additional reason why we're forgetful of Torah more so than regular forgetfulness, and that is because our non-holy part of us, or non-godly part of us, is not such a good receptacle for godliness. It's like we're putting something holy into something that's not really made for this. It's not built to receive it. So therefore we have our, our body and our animal soul and our whole gashmius, and, and gashmius is not really a good keli, is not a good vessel for ruchnias. But some people remember it much better than others. <laughs> yeah, a so good. Me- me you're saying a good a good memory helps, right? Yeah, no, I'm saying like, does it mean that a person who doesn't remember is so gosh? No, 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 no. no so again, again. So There's something else you have to re- you have to understand is that okay. memory, just like any talent that people have, some people have better memories, some people have lesser memories. That's has nothing to do with anything. That's just a it's part and of that time. has nothing to do with Twitter. That it's could be so in any right, area, it is, right? Right, it's something you know. There's something, but he said, but Alfarabis saying, but aside from the general thing called memory, okay. there's something when it comes to Torah that I have to be more of a Kali of it, and therefore he says when I verbalize the Torah, I brought the kedusha into my goof, I brought it into my Gashmias, and therefore in a sense I subdued the Gashmiya's to the kedusha of Torah. In other words, when it's just in my mind, I'm you know there's thoughts floating around. So my goof, my physical goof, never got involved in it. So if my physical goof never got involved in it, it sort of doesn't have anything to retain it. So it's it's just like like I said, gashmius and goof and body is not a kali. It's like you're grounding it into into. Okay, so he says, but when I, when, I, when I verbalize it, so what I'm doing is, I'm not just thinking the words of Torah, my mouth is saying the words of Torah, my body is getting involved in the words of the Torah, so the kedusha is sort of being um, imprinted on, on, my, on, on the physical side of me, in my guf, and if so, the power of shikha, of forgetfulness, is lessened. In other words, that forgetfulness, because this is not holy, but I brought the holiness into my body. If I brought the holiness into my body, my body has become more of a keli for the Kedusha of taira, And therefore, it's, I'm not going to forget it that quickly. And that's what he says. So all this is connected to what we're saying over here, that Hashem specifically says about this covenant that he makes with us, that the words of Torah is going to remain with us, he says the words of Torah, and he says in the mouths of yourself, in the mouths of your children, and in the mouths of your Ainaklach. all about picha, 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 because Torah is something that, although it's definitely conceptual, it's ideas, but there is a special part of it, of making sure that those ideas, we verbalize them and we speak them with our mouths and our bodies and make them part of ourselves. And in that way, we have the ability of retention of Taira also in a greater way, as illustrated in that story of the Gemara and that uh, saying of Bruria, and as explained in Tanya. Can I just say something? I think now that science has shown that, yeah. that things that are verbalized are that our, our memory holds on to them better, not just the future. That's In general, to do with your synapses and your neurons and all that stuff, right. too. Right. Mm-hmm. So there knows there there could definitely be more than uh, than one explanation to it. Yeah. yeah. You know, there could be a simple a gashmi, and a deeper reason for that, and so on and so forth. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Let's go on. So the first thing we talked about is the covenant of Torah, but we connect Hashem not only through Torah. We're davening, right? So the next part is tefillah, and here we have a very beautiful and important pasuk. Um, and that's from Tehillim. It's the line that starts with the words olam. We say Yoshev Yisrael. That Hashem who is holy literally sits on the praises of Klal Yisrael. What does that mean? That Hashem who is holy Ata Yoshev, sits on the praises of Klal Yisrael. What does that mean? And that's a, It's a pasuk that Hasidus has a lot to say about. But just one concept, and that is, we've just been davening, right? the whole, we're we're ending off davening. And davening is really a lot about tehillah Yisrael. What does the word tehillah mean? Praise. Praise. What's our sitter called? Tehillah Tehillah. Hashem, right? So it's tehillah. It's all about praises. Um, Hashem sits on the praises of Klal Yisrael. What does that mean? So, Kabbalistically, um, and explained in Hasidus, sitting represents coming down when one stands one is at their full height when one sits down it's lowering themselves to whatever or whomever they're trying to lower themselves to when we say that hashem atah kadosh hashem is holy holy means removed aloof transcendent yesh but he comes down what brings him down Tehillah Yisrael, our praises. By the fact that we in this corporal corporal world, physical people, regular people, nevertheless praise Hashem, think about Hashem, talk about Hashem, that brings Hashem closer to us. That, so to speak, um, awakens within Hashem the desire to sit down, to come closer to us, to give us the brachas that we're asking for and to uh, reveal His direction and guidance. It's through our tehillah, through our davening, through our praises that we caused that yoisev, that sitting down of Hashem to us. And in, we have the uh, famous story of the Baal Shem Tov, which I'll say in very short, that the Baal Shem Tov once visited a town, and this was when, when that Baal Shem Tov would still go <coughs> in hiding before he was revealed as a great tzaddik. And he would go as a peasant, as a simple peasant, and he came to the town, and they told him in this town there's this tremendously uh, Great scholar who sits all day and learns, and that's all he does. He doesn't talk to anyone, doesn't eat, doesn't drink, just, just in order to subsist. Um, and he has no time for anyone, doesn't talk to anyone. He just learns and that happens. That's what he does. It was called a in those days, it was called the Prushim. The, par, the word Parush means to be totally separated. They separate himself from everyone else. Prushim and Stoking? No, no, no. You're talking about a thousand years earlier. In, in the time we're talking about 300 years ago, the, the word parush means. No, but you're right. Lifrosh. Lifrosh. Lifrosh means separate. to re, to remove oneself. Lifrosh chala, to separate. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Prisha. So so the um, the prushim were those who would separate themselves from all people and from really any types of physical involvements or interactions and they would just sit in the basement and learn and daven. That's what they did. Um, there weren't that many of them, but that obviously wasn't the Hasidic approach. But that was an approach before Hasidim primarily. Anyways, Bashan asked came to him and Bashiham said, "How are you doing? How are you doing?" And this guy. Didn't even answer. The Shanta just looked like a peasant. These people were totally removed from the commoners. And the Balshtant says, you know, so finally he, he got on his nerves. He shows with the finger. He says, "Leave." You know, the Bal-shant says, "Why are you taking away the parnasa of Hakadosh Baruch So another guy's confused. Here's this peasant. What's he talking about Hakadosh Baruch and taking away Hakadosh Baruch Hu's What does that mean anyway? He says, "What are you talking about?" So the Balshtant said this passage from a valid scene. He says, "Va'ata Kaddish, Yisrael Ha-shan, Lives off. He, he sits on our, to heal us, our praises. When we say Baruch Hashem, when we thank Hashem for what we're doing, I, I ask you, how are you? How are you feeling? How are you doing? A Yid answers Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem, every time we say Baruch Hashem, that's a praise for Hashem, that's connecting us with Hashem and Hashem with us. The Ata Kodesh, the great Kodesh, the holy Hashem, Yoyshev, he sits on or sits down to our praises. And the Baal Shant have talked constantly about that concept of Baruch Hashem, and that's something that we try to teach our own children also, always, in every conversation, every issue, Baruch Hashem to always bring out the, that Tehillah is Hashem. So that's what we, um, that's, so we started off with the, the ideas, the, um, covenant for Torah, then we talk about Tefillah, then goes the entire section about the Kedusha of the Malachim. And I'm not going to go into it again, because we did it when we did Birchas HaZkiri Shema. But again, we go through all the steps, the Kadosh, 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 the three Kadoshes, and it translates here into Aramaic. Baruch vod Hashem mimkoma, bringing Hashem's glory down, translated into Aramaic. Hashem Yimloch vod. translated into Aramaic. And this takes us through most of this section of Uval Etzien. I want to <coughs> fast forward until the end of page 73, which is the second page of Avala baruchu Baruch Hu alikeinu shebra'anu For Those of you who have the same sitter as I, which is most of you, it's two lines before the end of page 73. Right? Do you have it? Baruch Hu alikeinu shebra'anu l'chveideh. Can we sing that usually? It's a, it's a Nigen that's sung. Yeah, song also. Um, so here, this is already finishing off the uvala right? There's, there's different tunes to that to those words, but we thank we thank Hashem that, and we say a number of points, and it's interesting, very beautiful. I want to just translate them and explain a bit. We baruch Hashem baruch blessed is Hashem shebra'anu lechvodo. The first thing is, He created us for His kavod in order to be able to enhance His kavod. We understand that we in this world have a tremendous Obligation and tremendous zuchus, tremendous merit, which is that we have the ability of bringing Hashem's kavod into this world, right? We're ambassadors of Hashem in this world. Now we're regular people. And nevertheless, and Hashem created this big world with all different types of creations. And who are the ones that are um, empowered and given the job of bringing Hashem's kavod into this world is us. So that's a tremendous bracha that we thank Hashem. Shebraonu He created us to be able to enhance, to be the ones who bring Hashem's covet, Hashem's glory, into this world. On top of that, v'hivdilanu min hatoyim. He, um, the word to be mafdil is to separate. to separate. He separated us from those who stray, who don't know. They, you know, there's. Oh, Toim could be mistaken or to stray. Yeah. It could be to sin. It could be all those. How does it translate in English? Yeah, Anyone has with Lanam and How do we, Typically, they would probably have the exact the exact translation. Yeah. Who, go Who go astray. Okay. Who go astray. Okay. Who go astray. Yeah, same idea. It's all the to same idea. Right? Mm-hmm. So that Hashem was mavdilas and gave us direction. So we don't have to stray. You know, most people who stray are not looking to stray. they just, they're a little lost. Yeah. And to not be lost, for a person to be able to have a sense of direction and a, a, a compass, to be able to know the right direction is one of the maybe the greatest gift possible. That Hashem gives us the ability for a person to be um, confident and a per- person to know where they're headed and what they want and what they accomplish and what their mission, what their goal is. So that's the second thing. We say, Eh Hashem created us with the ability to bring His honor in this world. Secondly, He gave us the ability to have a compass, to have clarity, not to stray, not to be lost. V'nosan lonu teiras emes. He gave us this gift of teiras emes, the true teira. V'chaye nota b'sirchenum. And that life, everlasting life, He planted within us. Very interesting, a very interesting expression that Hashem planted within us life. We think about He says He gave us the Torah and planted within us life. What's the difference between giving and planting? Why do we use these two expressions? Hashem gave us the Torah I think and it's He planted it. Like it's really part of you. Very good. So giving is wonderful, a gift. There's nothing like you know, Hashem, accept Hashem accept. gave us a wonderful, great gift. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I can have a wonderful, beautiful gift. But that gift and me don't you don't, don't connect. Mm-hmm. So the gift may be unbelievable. A person might be, might give me a gift that's worth thousands of dollars. But that gift and me just don't <laughs> whatever the word is. Thank God for eating. They don't become one. <laughs> so on that, so after we say teras that he gave us the Torah. he said he did something a lot greater than just giving us the Torah. He implanted the Torah within us. Implanting means. That like, when you put a seed into the ground, where it doesn't doesn't stay separate, the seed becomes part of the ground. Mm -hmm. And Hashem didn't just give us the Torah, He implanted it in us that it becomes part of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, it's the greatest gift ever, but on the other hand, it's a gift that's not just given to us, so that we should be able to You know, put on the mantle and show off, I have a beautiful gift. It's a gift that becomes part and parcel of us and therefore also can't ever be taken away from us. That's That's another thing. Something that's planted has to to be nurtured. It has to be nurtured, for sure, for sure. But it's always inside you, it's rooted inside you. It's always there. You don't water it, it's there. That's correct. And that's why it might lay dormant for who knows how long. And one day, with the right word, with the right person, with the right way, it can be revealed without a doubt. So therefore, we thank Hashem for these gifts. Again, four, we, we mentioned four points. He created us for His honor. He gave us direction, so we shouldn't have to stray. He gave us His gift of the Torah. He implanted that within us. And therefore, what are we asking of Him on the next lines? We say, mm-hmm. We ask that He opens our heart to, to His Torah. And again, interesting. Every word is so full of meaning. He opened our heart to Torah? Don't we learn Torah with our minds? If Torah is intellectual, what does it mean we're asking Hashem to open our heart to Torah? The answer is because you could learn something as something that's detached and just intellectual, or you could live with what you learn. The idea of Torah is not meant to be just an intellectual pursuit of how many pages I know and how many you know words can I spit back at you. It's something to live with. And we live with our emotions. So true, Torah is is intellectual and we use our minds and we learn. But we ask Hashem that the Torah that we learn should not remain an intellectual exercise, (laughs) but rather something that our hearts should live with, that we should be emotionally involved in the Torah that we learn. And then we ask... We ask Hashem to help that our hearts should be able to feel Ava and Yira, love of Hashem and fear of Hashem. Um, because we know that even if in our minds we think about the right concepts that should create love of Hashem or the, the right concepts that should create fear of Hashem, many times the heart doesn't, um, doesn't respond. And, you know, even though it says in Tanya that if you, if, uh, if you reflect with your mind, if, you're, uh, if you uh, meditate, so the mind affects the heart and the heart has feelings, yet, even in Tanya, it says, sometimes it doesn't work so simple. Sometimes the person tries thinking and tries meditating and reflecting, and somehow the heart is, um, you know... Has a mind of its own. <laughs> well said. Sometimes <laughs> the heart has a mind of its own. So therefore, we're asking <laughs> Hashem for a bracha v'yasem ahavase ahavaseh that he should, so he should put into our, our hearts the ability to feel real Ava and Yira, but that's not enough. Although we asked already that the Torah that we learn, we should get emotionally excited about, we asked our, Ava and Yira, what's the ultimate goal though? Not just how much I know, not how much I feel, but <inaudible> to actually be able to fulfill his will, to serve him with a complete heart. And only when we have really all these three steps, when we're, our learning is in a way that we're emotionally involved, when we have the right when we're able to serve Hashem and actually fulfill the mitzvah, then, Laman larik, then we know that our toil is never in vain. What we create uh, will bear fruit because... Because now we're, we're, you know, we have we're, we're intellectually, emotionally, and in an action in tune with our Aveda. So clearly then our Aveda is an Aveda that is profitable. And with that, we finish here with the basic bruches. That this should be Hashem's will. We should guard His ways and His mitzvahs. And we should be zoicha to see Yemais Samashiach. That's why we finish this. We've all seen this amazing tefillah, really wrapping up davening. We're asking that we should veniska, venichia, venira. We should be zayicha to live and to see and to inherit all the good and the bracha, the blessing of the days of Mashiach and, and Elam Haba, When we will daven forever, v'lo Then we'll be able to sing Hashem's praises v'lo will never be silent. In a time when Hashem will be so revealed in the world, then our davening will continue. We'll always be able to to feel that type of tehillah, that type of praises that we've been that we've been saying throughout davening, and it finishes with a few more psukim in that vein. So this is the uvalet Sim Tefillah, which, which is a very beautiful tefillah, at which we which follows by the Kaddish that really finishes davening. Now there's going to be other Kaddish later, but that's Kaddish Yassam. All the other Kadeshim after this is said by a Yasson, someone who's missing, uh, lost a parent, or a Yard site. That's, we'll see after the Shishoyom, after the But the, the real Kaddish that finishes Tfila is this one, right here after Valusion, which is why this is the only Kaddish that has a line in the middle of 75, like four lines into the page. Tiskabel, Tzeloisein, Nevausin, the Beis Yisrael. It's Aramaic. All the tefillahs of all K'lai Yisrael should be accepted. K'odem avu'in di bishmaya before our Father in Heaven, v'imru amin. This is a, tf- a Kaddish, a tefillah, that all of our tefillahs of Shemana Esra and everything that led up, should be accepted by Hashem. We say this specifically after Valetian, as we said, which is really, in a sense, ending of the tfila proper. Um, the end of the Valetian. But there's a summation in a way, way it is, but there's still a few more ideas which we will discuss in the next weeks. Can you just tell us how many, like, how many more weeks we have? What's our state?